Okay, the book of Exodus. How can we have a relationship, or excuse me, how can God have a relationship with humanity after the fall? And really, as we go through the best story ever, we're seeing how that happened. And this is answered all throughout the Bible between Genesis chapter 4 through the end of Revelation 19. It's miraculous, it's beautiful, and we are dependent on God making this happen. This relationship happens through covenant. And these are the things that are on your handout. I didn't put any blanks there at the beginning because I really wanted this just to be there. I didn't want you to be distracted by filling in a blank. Don't worry, there's plenty of blanks later for those of you who like to fill out blanks. So this relationship moves from the low point at the expulsion from the garden at the end of Genesis 3 to the final destination in the new creation in Revelation chapter 21. And this relationship, starting at the low point there after the expulsion from the garden, is progressively intensified on this journey from Genesis 4 through Revelation chapter 19. It gets more and more intense and more and more close. So it starts right after the expulsion of the garden where there's a wide chasm. And throughout this journey that we go through, through the scriptures, and we're still in it right now, this relationship through covenant gets closer and closer more and more personal until we have what Adam and Eve had in the garden, that face-to-face fellowship, except even better because it is the new creation provided by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So where does Exodus fit in all this? In Genesis, we looked at the concept of covenant, and we looked at how this covenant was passed down, uh, was given originally to Abraham, and then how it was passed down to Isaac, and then to Jacob, and then to his 12 sons. That is Genesis chapters 12 through 50 is that story of God's covenant with Abraham and his descendants. After Genesis chapter 50, we have a gap in time of 400 years. 400 years. Try to visualize our country 400 years ago. And maybe some of you history buffs can think of several things where the rest of us are like, I have no idea. You tried to forget history class. Try to think of our church heritage 400 years ago. And think of the changes in the things that have happened in our churches over the last 400 years. This is an incredible gap that happens after Genesis chapter 50. And so, what happens now that we reach Exodus 1.1? Let's look at Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. 
the ESV translation says, These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his own household. I'm just going to, I'm going to make a translation complaint here, and several of the modern translations omit part of the original Hebrew here. I understand you have to make translation decisions. That's okay. I'm not saying they're terrible people. They have to make thousands of decisions among thousands of translation people and committees to bring together a translation. But here, I believe it's a weakness. And if you're holding a King James in your hand, it's going to start with the word now. You can also translate that word more literally, and. So the book of Exodus begins with the word and. And that is important. That was no pun intended when I said and. That is important. Um, That is important because Exodus is a, this word and is used to make the point that Exodus is a continuation of the story of God seeking a relationship with his people. So Exodus is a continuation. Yes, it's a book, a literary unit that stands on its own, but it is important that we as readers of the scriptures understand that the Holy Spirit is making a point that this is a continuation on of what God is doing with humanity. So Exodus moves... From what Genesis had, and that was Abraham's family and the covenant with Abraham's family to the nation. Genesis deals with Abraham and his descendants and more of a family and his descendants. By the time we get to Exodus, we're dealing with a nation and how does God's covenant relate to this nation? Abraham and his family were not a nation yet in Genesis. Now his family is a nation. So how is God going to covenant with this nation? The reason I want to make that point is because, just as a practical example, I think you'll identify with this. Here in Bremen, we do things as a town differently than the city of Chicago does. Is that a fair point? Yeah, it's a fair point, and we're very thankful for that. But just as you're dealing with size and the difference of a nature of a small town versus a large city, so it is here. God's covenant is revealed to Abraham and his family, his descendants. And so the nature of that covenant and the keys of that covenant are, are there's some similarities with what he does with the nation of Israel, but there are some significant differences as well. And so Exodus develops those differences and how is God going to have a covenant relationship with a nation? So here for your handout, the Exodus key point. The Bible is the best story ever and Exodus carries forward God's covenant relationship. Covenant relationship with his people. By moving from the family of Abraham to the nation of Israel. Exodus carries forward God's covenant relationship with his people by moving from the family of Abraham to the nation of Israel. And we're going to look at three ways Exodus shows God's covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. Let's pray. God, this morning, 
please give clarity. I also ask as the clarity comes forth that it would be exciting as we see the beauty of the best story ever, the story that we are a part of, and that we can be strengthened and encouraged, that we could celebrate, that we could have hope in this best story ever that we are living out. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So number one, God rescues Israel. God rescues Israel. This primarily takes place in the first 18 chapters of the book of Exodus, where God calls Moses, he equips him, and then he sends him to back to Egypt. And there's this great unfolding drama between Moses and Aaron and the people, but also between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh. And it is classic. Uh, very few people don't know about it, even if they don't go to church. It is just one of those classic, amazing drama stories in the scriptures. And what we see with this is we see God in a rescue effort. It's happening. So letter 1A, the rescue here, the first blank is rescue. In fact, all the blanks under number one are just rescue. So you can just write rescue in all those blanks. So when we talk about the rescue here that we see in Exodus chapters 1 through 18, it's a mini drama within the big drama of Scripture. In the big drama of Scripture, God wants a relationship with His people, with humanity. It was severed in the garden. And so the big drama is how does God reach out and rescue us and then restore us to a full relationship to Him and the new creation. And so in a small way, we see this happening in a mini way with the nation of Israel in Exodus chapters 1 through 18. Now also, if we want to get, you know, we had the big picture of the drama of Scripture, then we have the somewhat smaller picture of the rescue of Israel from Egypt, and then we get real small, and let's just talk about us. In the same way, we can look at the fact that God rescues individuals. And there is a drama that surrounds that with how God deals with us, puts leadership in other people in our life to witness to us, to lead us out, to help us, to give us the truth. And then the struggle with the kingdom of darkness that has been ingrained in that we were in. 1B, rescue is a messy, complicated process. As you read those first 18 chapters and you look at Moses' calling, Moses wasn't initially very excited about what God was asking him to do. And there was a struggle there with Moses and God and his calling. There was also the the weaknesses of Moses, but also the weakness and the brokenness of of the nation of Israel, when Moses goes to talk to them, they were so broken they could hardly hear and see straight. There was an initial, yes, okay, great, God's going to help us. And then after a little bit of some more hardship, they didn't want to listen to Moses and Aaron anymore because it felt like, yeah, this is a joke. So there is hope, there's despair, there's faith, there's suffering, there 
is Pharaoh and all his pride and Pharaoh representing the anti-kingdom against God's kingdom, the kingdom of darkness against the kingdom of light. Pharaoh is kind of like a, a type of the anti-Christ. In all this, Pharaoh's in God's hand, even though Pharaoh has a wicked um, heart and is trying to go against God. And Pharaoh is ultimately humbled. But this rescue that happened, it wasn't just like, okay, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to pick you up and move you and go. No, it was a complicated, messy process. As we consider our own lives and the rescue that God is doing in our own lives, rescue, even though God is all-powerful and all-knowing and loving, rescue is a complicated process. This is a great illustration of what it is for many people as they come to salvation. It's usually a complicated and messy process. Keep your finger here and go over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Paul is enumerating the things that happened because the gospel came to the people at Colossae and it transformed their lives. And one of the things he's talking about as far as this transformation is Colossians 1.12. He says, we're giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And the reason I wanted to read these verses, this this deliverance and this transfer from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son, I feel like what is happening there with the people, the nation of Israel in Exodus chapters 1 through 18 is a big, beautiful illustration of what Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14 is talking about. How God rescues us, gives us an inheritance, moves us from the kingdom of darkness, and transitions us into the kingdom of His dear Son. And go back over to the book of Exodus. 1c. Rescue displays God's character. Rescue displays God's character. Turn to Exodus chapter 6. Here you have the nation of Israel. Exodus chapter 6, by the way, is one of the classic Old Testament passages, chapters. So if you want to make sure that you're familiar with some of the, you know, the, the big deal, high point chapters of the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 6 is one of those chapters you need to be familiar with. It is, it is one of the high points. And here, Israel is broken. Israel is having trouble hearing that they have hope. And God is saying, yes, you have hope. I am your God. I am here for you. Here is who I am. Here is what I will do for you. And he pronounces it strongly. He uses one of the key phrases that is used throughout several places in the Old Testament. It's also used several places in the New Testament. I'll tell you that phrase in a minute. Let's look at Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. 
God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, or Yahweh, or Jehovah, all those are appropriate. And so in the Hebrew, they're going to call it Lord because they don't ever want, they were so reverence Yahweh or Jehovah, they refused to even pronounce it. And so they pronounce it differently as Lord or Master. By my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians sold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. After 400 years, I bet you there's more than a few people in the nation of Israel there that thought that God had forgotten his covenant. You go through 10 years of hard times and you're going to think that God forgot his covenant. Now, what about your whole entire life in a position of hard times? You're going to think that God has forgotten his covenant. But God is revealing himself to them. He is pronouncing to them. He is preaching through Moses to them and proclaiming that I am the Lord. Here is my character. Here is who I am. I am here for you. Verse 6. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. An arm with great acts of judgment. An outstretched arm is an arm that is acting. If you see somebody just standing there, not doing anything with their arms, maybe their hands are folded, or maybe they're just kind of sitting there in a time when someone needs to be rescued. Can you imagine a guy standing on the riverbank, and there is a child rushing down in the rapids, and he just stands there and just kind of looks. No, an outstretched arm is someone who puts his arms out, stretches them out, and he begins to swim, and he goes after that child. And that is what God is doing with his children here in this passage. He is going to stretch out his arms. He is going to reach out, and he is going to rescue them from the rapids. Verse 7, I will take you to be my people, If you mark in your Bible, mark this verse. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you from out, brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So here is this phrase and it has different ways throughout the Bible, but it's several times throughout the Bible. I am your God. You're my people. I will be your God. You will be my people. That phrasing is throughout all the scriptures is a covenant way of God speaking out saying, I'm here for you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to deliver you to the new creation. Verse 8, I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not. Listen to Moses. Because of their broken spirit in harsh slavery.
because of the brokenness of the sinful world, because of the sins that have been done unto us, because of the sins that are in our heart living, that causes a brokenness that causes us to have trouble to hear the voice of God. And that is why it's only by God reaching out to us and reaching out his hand to rescue us can we know anything of salvation. One D. Rescue is a dramatic event which glorifies God. Glorifies God. God says over and over again here in this passage in Exodus chapters 1 through 18 that he will get the glory. He will get the glory. He will get the glory. In part of God rescuing us is that it is a matter of God's glory. When we talk about God's glory, it's glory, we kind of use it in common talk, but we don't use it really that much. But glory is that amazing, that wow, that overwhelming beauty, breathtaking awesomeness. My, my dad used to have um, this VHS tape of all the amazing moments of Michael Jordan in basketball where he was doing all these dunks and all these crazy moments. And these were moments of glory that everybody was shouting and they were all excited about. You say, I don't care about that. Well, whatever you get excited about and you cheer about, that's the idea of glory. Glory is directly related to celebration. Crazy excitement, shouting for joy. That's the idea of glory. And so you look at the excellent things that God does, it's glory, it's amazing, it's beautiful, but it's crazy excitement, shouting for joy too. That is what we talk about when we talk about God's glory. That type of celebration. Years ago, I mentioned this. Chuck and Cinda, you'll remember this. When... Tree and I, we had just been married just a few months. We moved from Indiana down to South Carolina for me to go to grad school and prepare to be a pastor. And we had three vehicles at the beginning of the trip. We had um, Dad's truck, and we had hooked up a trailer to that. And then we had my Subaru, and we had loaded that down with stuff. And then we had what we called my beater. I had bought a car from my boss at Newmar for $200. And we loaded that down with stuff too. And Grandpa Lightfoot pulled me over before we left on the trip. And he said, now if that beater breaks down on this 12-hour trip down to South Carolina, you just leave it inside the road and just forget about it. Yes, Grandpa. So... About five hours in the trip, it was getting dark, and we were going to stop in Richmond, Kentucky to stay the night at my grandfather's house. My car breaks down. Not the beater, but my Subaru, my good car. We were able to get it just to uh, my grandpa's house, but the next morning we had to leave it because there was no quick fix for it. In fact, it took several weeks to get it fixed. So we head from Kentucky, and we're heading to South Carolina. That's about a five-hour trip. And so we get into the mountains of North Carolina, and uh, Dad's truck transmission went out. And so we had to leave 
um, his truck. It was at his shop. There happened to be a transmission shop just right off of Exit 20 and um, Interstate 40 in North Carolina. And so we pulled it up back um, and uh, we left the truck in the trailer there at this shop. Um, and we all climbed into the beater. And so the car that was supposed to break down is the only car that got us down to Greenville, South Carolina. There were definitely some laughing going on as I think mom had a lamp on her lap or something like that. So here we are in this rusted, uh, rusted out 1987 Chevy Nova and crammed in all of us into this. We pulled into Greenville. But we were in a pinch. People had to get back home. We had to get all of our belongings that were spread across different places. And it was a mess. And, you know, I didn't have a vehicle anymore. I wasn't going to drive that beater car back up into North Carolina. I was afraid it was going to break down, even though God is in Greenville. And so uh, my friend Matt, he his car was in the shop. The only other person I really could lean on to borrow their vehicle. So I borrowed his rental car. And, uh, and then my dad... He found um, a friend who had a Chevy Tahoe that he could borrow in Kentucky. And so Chuck and I drove in the middle of the night to um, this place in North Carolina. And my dad drove down from Kentucky to this place in North Carolina. We met in the middle of the night and we made three trips throughout the night from North Carolina down to South Carolina to get all these belongings taken care of and everything situated. In fact, it was one time in the middle of the night we had a police officer come and check us out because he thought we were stealing stuff. Let me tell you, folks, that was a mess. And it was a complicated rescue effort to get us all taken care of. I tell you that crazy story to illustrate for us, no matter how bad it is, no matter how messy our lives are, no matter how crazy the situation is, God rescues us from the worst and he makes us his people. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that exciting? What we see here in Exodus is what we see today and what God is doing for us today. And he's going to do it all the way until we arrive as his people in the new creation. He's not done doing this. God carries forward the covenant relationship with his people in Exodus first by rescuing Israel from Egypt. Next, number two, God establishes Israel. God establishes Israel. And this takes place In chapters 19 through 24. Just rescuing somebody from a traumatic situation is only part of their work in helping them. I'm going to say that again. I'll make sure it's clear. Just rescuing someone from the traumatic situation, just pulling them from that traumatic situation is only part of the work. Years ago, I read a book called Escape from Camp 14. And it talked about the fact that there are concentration camps today in 
North Korea. We, we are horrified by the concentration camps that happened in, in Germany. Some terrible things happened there. There are also some similar things, not exactly alike, but some similar things happening in North Korea today. People who have spent their entire lives there, when who went to the camp when they were basically a baby, and that's their, all the life they know. Miraculously, one guy did escape, and that is the story of escape from Camp 14. As far as I know, this guy still lives in the United States today. He eventually, he got through China and down into South Korea, and then eventually he came to the United States. People who have been escaped or been rescued from situations like that, they have huge psychological issues. There is an agency, at least at the writing time of this book, about 10, 12 years ago, there's an agency in South Korea that is dedicated to trying to help condition and help the psychological issues of these people that end up back, end up in South Korea from North Korea. But the reason they have this is because some of those people, because it's so overwhelming and so different than everything they knew, they go back to North Korea. You see, that's crazy. But that is what almost happened with the Israelites. What happened when the Israelites did not like this new covenant relationship and this situation, the circumstances in the desert? What did they want to do? They wanted to go back to Egypt. What do you and I want to do chronically, even as born-again believers? We want to go back to our sin, even though we've been amazingly rescued in our salvation. So what God is doing here is he is establishing the nation of Israel. He is helping them. Part of the work after rescuing them is to establish them in a new relationship and in a new life. So 2A, God makes them a Covenant nation. Covenant nation. This is critical. This is exactly what God does. He forms a special covenant that is just with the nation of Israel. This covenant expired when Jesus came. But how is God going to help them in this new life? He forms a covenant in agreement with them and gives contours and gives details of what it means to be in a relationship with him as the nation of Israel. Turn me to Exodus in chapter 19. Exodus 19. Verse 1, Exodus 19.1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. 
You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenants, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. It's amazing that God pursued Israel at all. And he establishes an official relationship with them, with this nation. They were not crying out. The scriptures do not tell us that Israel was crying out to God, per se, and that they were hoping in his covenant. No, God initiates this whole deal. He reaches out. He rescues them. And then... He tells them how to live and helps them so they can be in a relationship with him and he establishes them. And I want you to be thankful for how God works in covenant with his people for yourself. God took you as somebody who was running away from him. He rescued you in salvation and then he teaches you how to have an ongoing relationship with him. To be, God gives them a moral code, a moral code. And that happens when the, the Mosaic law covenant and the details of the law about how to live in relationship with him as a nation is Exodus chapters 20 through 23. God gives them a moral code. To see, God ratifies the covenant relationship with the nation. God ratifies the covenant relationship with the nation. And so the reason I'm pointing this out, you can I'm going to let you go on your own time for the sake of time, but Exodus chapter 24, those first 11 verses, there is a solemn assembly, a solemn ceremony where they make this covenant official. They have received the law that was given to them by Moses. They heard it. And God had said, this is how you are going to be in relationship with me and enjoy the relationship with me. Now, let's make it official. Let's have a covenant ceremony. Kind of like a marriage ceremony. They're covenanting together in marriage. It's kind of what's happening here. God and the nation of Israel, it's like they are covenanting together in marriage in agreement. And once again, whenever you have a covenant between two people, it's troublesome. It's hard. Marriage is hard, folks. I'm very glad I'm married to my wife, but we have had our hard points. When you have two people in a marriage, it's hard. Two people in agreement with anything, it's hard. But when you have God as a part of that agreement, it's delightful and it's wonderful. And that is what is going on between God and the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel held a very unique place in our Old Testaments and their covenant relationship with God. So God carries forward the covenant relationship with his people in Exodus by first rescuing Israel from Egypt. Second, by establishing them. Now finally, and this one will go a little faster. Number three, God communes, communes with Israel. And that's in chapters 25 through 40. Remember here, as we are going through this rescue effort by God from Genesis to Revelation, 
that we are slowly moving back to the way things were in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were able to walk with him in the garden and enjoy his presence face to face. Except in the new creation, it will be even better. And so here, we had the low point happening of the expulsion from the garden, and now we're taking a step up from the low point. Remember, the highest point is the new creation. And so the low point was right after the expulsion from the garden, and a step up here happens where God makes an arrangement through tabernacle or through the tent of meeting to have his presence with the people. Still not like it was in the garden, but it's still God is among his people. He is living among his people. Where are we today? Now God is templing or tabernacling with us in our hearts with the Holy Spirit. And so it's intensified even more along the journey on the way to the new creation. And so here we have that God is setting up a way for him to have a presence with them better than it was before. So 3A, God initiated a dwelling place with Israel. Dwelling place with Israel. This is God's initiation. God, once again, he is reaching out and he is making all this possible so that he can be with his people. Three B. God revealed plans for the tabernacle. Tabernacle is the blank there. And so this is this was not something that the Israelites came up with. God gave them the details precisely of how he was going to be able to dwell with them. So it's like God brings all the creative know-how, all the creative energy. It's like when we try to either build a house or build a city or or do something that's way beyond our know-how. And then you get all these creative people, assemble them together, they form committees and crews, and they accomplish all this amazing work. That's what God is bringing to the equation. We don't have the ability to come up with all this stuff. And God, with his creative energy and his wisdom and his love for us, is bringing all the know-how and telling us how to implement it so that we can have a relationship with him. And that is what's happening here as he gives them the specific plans of this tabernacle or the tent of meeting. 3C, God gave his spirit, spirit, to enable the implementation of the tabernacle. When we talk about Christian doctrine of the Holy Spirit, Exodus chapter 31, the first 11 verses, is a critical passage because God, through the Holy Spirit, empowers two men with the practical skill and the know-how to know how to build that tabernacle. As a gift of the Spirit, there is practical, hands-on know-how how to do that. There's times when I've been struggling with a church copier years ago, and I want to just kick it and you know say all kinds of cuss words at it. You know, I think, man, Lord, I need some, some Holy Spirit know-how here. Please help me out. And here, not only does God give them the plans, He gives them the Holy Spirit skill, enabled skill to implement it. 3D, God dwells 
with his people. Exodus chapter 40. After all that preparation so that they can have God's presence with them as a nation, then he arrives and he dwells. He goes with them from that point on. If you want to enjoy that moment a little more and kind of cherish it this afternoon, read Exodus 1 and then read Exodus 40. Skip over all in between, but just notice the contrast. Look at where Israel was in Exodus 1 and look at where they are in Exodus 40. Where God is with them. That is beautiful, my friends. This is a transformation that you and I are on. God takes us from despair in a mess in the kingdom of darkness. He rescues us, establishes his relationship with us, and then we experience his presence. So let's pull it together. Exodus carries forward God's covenant relationship with his people by moving from the family of Abraham to the nation of Israel by rescuing establishing and communing with them Exodus carries forward God's covenant relationship with his people by moving from the family of Abraham to the nation of Israel by rescuing, establishing, and communing with them. And here's what I want you to leave with today. I want you to be celebrating that this is what God is doing for you because he loves you. Take a few minutes and respond.